Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. I have an addictive personality, and so it, it, it feeds it feeds my desires um, to um, you know more is better, <laughs> and and you know a, a lot of people are just like I said trying to find something in themselves that they just didn't know exist, and you and you discover that I, in my opinion you, you discover that uh, during the race, and. Um, one of the great things that I've noticed about some of the runners that finish 100 miles for the first time is that that residual confidence in themselves kind of carries over into other aspects of their lives. And um, that's that's something that's really cool to see. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly 7 in 10 Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Psalm Sleep, it gives you Zs. So our guest today on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, uh, he spent over 30 years in the sports entertainment industry. Our guest has served as a sport agent, talk show host, uh, NCAA consultant. He's co-authored seven books for Major League Baseball, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he is an ultra runner, and that's why I have him on the on the as a uh, guest today, because he has served over ten years as a race director for the Indiana Trail 100 and the Glacial Esker 40. Our guest today is Mike Peppercorn. Mike, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Yeah, glad to join you, Rob. So. Which, which position in sports entertainment was most fulfilling, agent, talk show host, or consultant? Um, the one that provided the most life lessons was probably the sports agent, um, just because I um, came from such a different background as most of the, uh, you know, the players that we represented and uh, um, learned a lot about um, myself and um, you know, where others see me uh, in terms of socioeconomic background and and um, uh, I, I worked for an all-black sports agency and which was a great which was great for me uh, they treated me wonderful and uh, but sometimes the players were a little suspicious of me and um, just we just didn't understand each other's background. Um, but um, uh, I learned a lot, loved it uh, when I did it. I uh, loved the negotiating part of it. Um, 
So I would say that was probably the, the, the one that um, I really learned the most. Yeah. So from an outsider perspective with um, let's say somebody's listening, has no idea kind of like what goes into being a sport agent or anything. What's, what's a, what's a story, what's a good uh, tale that you can uh, share with us? Oh gosh. Um, you know, a sports agent does just about everything, uh, for, for a, um, an athlete, you know, you, you, you have people that are assigned to get them apartments and, and pay, you know, help them pay their bills and, uh, you know, all those things, daily chores and, uh, you know, uh, other people are assigned to, um, you know, um, get them with the proper trainers and, and working out in the off season. Uh, I was more uh, on the negotiating side of things and I would help, um, you know, kind of lay out some of the contract parameters and um, uh, that, that really appealed to me. Um, I was involved with um, a contract with Deion Sanders uh, when he signed with the Dallas Cowboys and uh, um, we came up with a new way, kind of kind of a loophole, if you will, uh, in terms of how to structure a contract. And uh, it ended up being the highest um, signing bonus for a football player for many years. And uh, matter of fact, they had to change the rules because of the way that we structured it. So that was something that was, I was pretty proud of. That's fantastic, man. Uh, that's great. Um, and probably I always thought Deion Sanders was like the fastest, like with the ball, like one of the athletes that had the ball. I've always thought he was just the fastest one I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it, being the baseball fan that I was and to watch him just go in and play really without much minor league training or preparation and just play on the level that he did was just incredible. And uh, there's a lot of people in the baseball industry that felt like if that's something that he would have focused on uh, full time, he could have he could have been a, a great great player. Yeah, for sure. So seven books for Major League Baseball. You have to share with us, man, because I've written seven books and none of them are easy. <laughs> what what would like what were the books entail when when you wrote these? Well, um, th they were they were primarily statistical books. Um, it was prior to the advent of sabermetrics and, and all the analytics. And so really major league baseball, what they wanted to do was, um, try to get their arms around injuries. And since we were in the, um, disability business, they, you know, we were the appropriate people to kind of head up that, uh, task. And so they commissioned us to do that. And, um, you know, the, the thing about doing study like that is that it's only as good as the data that's provided. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we, we learned that um, not all the information um, provided through the disabled list was completely accurate. So therefore some of our findings wouldn't necessarily be accurate as well. But that said, we, we felt like um, we got some meaningful information out of it. Um, I, I think the bottom line was that uh, uh, regardless of position, everyone got hurt. <laughs> and it was just a matter of um, 
time as to when that happens. And, and the other thing is, you know, when a pitcher gets hurt, he, he has to be fully recovered before he can come back and play as opposed to a position player who can play hurt. So, you know, when, when a pitcher suffers a significant injury, he might be out for a year or so. Mm-hmm. When a position player does that, um, you know, not nearly the time. So really n- nothing groundbreaking. And, and, and to be honest, Rob, nobody has really kind of cracked the code on injuries in Major League Baseball. Anyone that, you know, the, really the first one who does is, is going to have um, a superior advantage over the others. It's just, but, but, you know, just the way the body, the body works and um, all the different motions that you're using in biomechanics and baseball. I'm not sure that that's ever, that code is ever going to be cracked either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of moving parts there, man, for sure. Yeah. You know, before getting into, ultras and, and being a race director in your experience. I mean, you, you, you had, you got COVID and I mean, you've been a long hauler through this stuff. What's that process been like for you, man? It's been very frustrating. Um, I've had it for 17 months now and um, it's, it's just impacted. Um, it's impacted my life. I mean, I, I, I've had chest pains, mostly primarily lung problems um, been dealing with brain fog. I have to do brain exercises every day to just kind of stimulate, um, brain activity. Um, fatigue has been really bad. So I've, I've done my best to kind of adapt and move on, but, uh, yeah, that's easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, you were a healthy individual, man. It's not like, you know, you were, um, somebody who wasn't taking care of themselves. I mean, that's why I was always, yeah, I find this um, just to be remarkable at how many people can experience it different ways, man. So I really feel for that experience that you've gone through. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, the randomness of this is perplexing. Like you said, I, I, I believe I, I believe I was a fit person prior to that. And, um, you know, why did it attack me as opposed to somebody else? It just, this file that I don't understand. It's just, um, you know, how, how you respond to it and kind of move forward. You know, having gone through this, what, what is the lesson that you've been able to take from this? Patience. Um, I'm, I'm not a patient person and, um, you have to slow everything down. You, you want to do everything like you've done it in the past and you can't, you're just not capable of doing that. And so I've had to take a step back and um, just kind of be careful on how I say things, word things. Um, um, so that's that's been a that's been a real lesson to me um, in terms of kind of stepping back and, and trying to be more patient about something. Um, yeah. What, what do you mean by that, Mike? Like how you have to word things? Um, just. Like I said, my processing has been a little off. My, the, I've been advised to get some speech therapy, which I, I found interesting in terms to help my brain processing. Hmm. Um, so um, I just have to kind of, like I said, take a step back and think through what I want to say, whether it's in an email, whether I'm speaking with somebody, um, 
I've just had to slow everything down where, you know, before it was just rapid fire pace and um, just it's um, it's not something um, it's not it's not something I've ever experienced before. So, it, you know, it's hard to compare it to anything else, but uh, um, it's been a struggle. Yeah. Well, again, man, I appreciate you uh, sharing that. With me, you've completed how many hundred milers have you finished? Uh, three. So, you've, I mean, you've completed multiple hundred milers. You've been a race director, just kind of switching that. I mean, you've crewed for runners at uh, some of the biggest races. What What do you think it is about ultra runners, man, to just set the stage? Um, I think under uh, ultra runners are, are, are just looking for, for something you know, about themselves. They're searching for something. Um, uh, I know a lot of ultra runners that, um, you know, are former addicts and, um, you know, they're able to positively shift that addiction to something more positive. And, uh, I have an addictive personality. And so it, it, it feeds, it feeds my desires, um, to, um, you know, more is better. <laughs> and, and, you know, a, a lot of people are just, like I said, trying to find something in themselves that they just didn't know existed. And you, and you discover that I, and I, in my opinion, you, you discover that uh, during the race. And um, the, one of the great things that I've noticed about some of the runners that finish hundred miles for the first time is that, that residual confidence in themselves kind of carries over into other aspects of their lives. And, um, that's, that's something that's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. indeed, man. Yeah. an addict's mantra, right? Uh, more, you know, exactly. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Same, same thing, man. Being, uh, uh, in recovery myself many years. Um, I, I like that perspective in terms of ultra runners they are searching for something what do you think those that enjoy let's just look at the enjoyment of the sport do you think that they approach it different um as opposed to then other people who you know might approach it like as a checklist or something to just accomplish yeah i, I do I, I i really do believe that's the case i mean you, you see a lot of people out there that are I don't want to say they're going through the motions, but it, it's just, um, it's a different challenge. They've, um, I know myself, I, I came from mar marathon background and, um, I kind of did everything I wanted to do there. And so, um, instead of trying to go faster, I wanted to go farther. And, and I think a lot of people kind of graduate into that, not knowing what that really means or entails. And they discover they discover it and they then they decide whether it's for them or not. A lot of them um, will, will try and it's just not for them and they move on. And, and that's, you know, that's completely fine. It's everyone's made that choice, but uh, it is, it is different for, for people that have addictions and um, you, you see it's more meaningful. Um, it, it, there's something there that's driving them 
um, that they want to, uh, you know, they want to accomplish it. They want to accomplish that goal, but they've done something good and, and, and healthy for themselves. I mean, you can debate whether it's healthy or not, but, um, mentally it's certainly uh, something um, that's going down the right path. Mm -hmm. In terms of, well, I guess let me ask this question, the biggest lesson from ultras or even training, what's, what's the takeaway that you've gotten from yourself that's resulted in, you know, the best running experience or the not so great experience when it came to races? Well, when I started out a hundred years ago, um, um, there, there wasn't a lot of information in terms, you know, what, what to do, what not to do. It was more of a kind of figure it out as you go on type of thing. And I made every possible mistake you can make, which is good in a sense that I can help people <laughs> explain to them what not to do. Um, but I, you know, in, in the process of doing some of those things, I, I kind of trashed my body and, uh, you know, I, I was anticipating this long distinguished ultra running career that never really got off the ground. Um, and, and I think a lot of it had to do with just some of the mistakes that I made, uh, in terms of not training properly, not giving my body enough rest to recover, um, I've had nine knee surgeries and, um, the result of which is because I hurt myself late in training in all of those, um, situations. And so I, I've made a lot of mistakes because of that. And, um, so I, I think having, um, having, uh, a, a knowledge base of what you're getting into is, it's so, so, so important now uh, um, as I look back because, uh, you know, back in 2004 or five, we just, you just didn't have access to all that information. There, there just wasn't a lot of people doing the sport. And so, you know, it's, it's grown exponentially since then. And, and, and with that has come a lot more um, information. Yeah. So I need to ask you about that. If you could just unpack that a little bit more, what do you mean? most of the injuries came later in training. I, I just didn't, uh, I just didn't um, train properly. In my opinion, I just uh, tried to do too much um, uh, on my long runs, um, too many backs to backs. And, um, you know, I just, I didn't afford myself enough recovery time. And, you know, that was just um, ignorance on my part. And, uh, not everyone's the same, uh, you know, some people maybe could, could handle the, you know, some of the training load that I was doing, but in my case, I just wasn't able to. And so, um, I never really learned from that. <laughs> I, I, I just kept making the, kept repeating my mistakes, uh, in, in my training. And so I get really kind of sensitive when I see people, um, at this stage where we're at right now, five, six weeks out. And, you know, they're still, um, you know, they're, they're, um, they're doing, um, something or a workload that maybe I think is a little bit too much for them, but it's not my place to tell them that. I mean, if they'll ask, I'll tell them, yeah. but, um, 
um, yeah, it, it's it's something that I, I I get really sensitive about because I I just don't want somebody somebody else to have to go through um, all the uh, surgeries and, and just losing cartilage like I did. Right. So because unsolicited advice is the worst type of advice, right? Exactly. I mean, we're going we're to have ultra runners listen to this. Let's say somebody is six weeks out yeah. from, you know, from whatever the race is going to be. What, what do you think is the biggest piece of advice that man, you, you have to be, you have to do this. Uh, less is more. Um, we had a thread on our, our site this week, just about that. Um, uh, if you have to make a choice, opt for something less than more. I mean, it's like studying for a test. If, if you've not, if you've not fully prepared at this point, doing extra now isn't going to help. You, you, you have to you, you're at your spot and, and there's really not going to be a whole lot to change it, in my opinion. And so um, don't overdo it at this point. If you, you know, if you still want to get miles, incorporate more walking. And what I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, fast walking, something to keep, you know, the, 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 the elevate the heart rate a little bit, but don't overdo it. Um, but it's a great way to get miles and you're going to be walking your fair share during the race anyway. So you might as well, um, work those muscles and practice that and simulate what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mike, when it comes to why do you think people don't finish when it comes to this? Now, obviously, I mean, there's going to be a lot of reasons, right? I mean, with feet, nutrition, all that stuff, but what is it that you see most about why people don't finish? It's a combination of things, Rob. Um, for some people, it's just not as important. Um, you know, for, for some people, it's the be all end all to finish for others. It's, it's just not. And, um, that's something I didn't really fully grasp in the first couple of years, but after just kind of seeing it over and over, it's just, you know, the priorities maybe not as, as it's not there for, for others that do that, you know, that, that want to finish and then did, just don't, I, I just think it's, they're just not, when you get to that, uh, that, like you like to say that hinge point, they just don't know how to respond. And, um, it's difficult to do that sometimes when you just don't know what the proper, you know, what, what direction do I need to go? They're not maybe fully prepared for what's about to happen to them because you're going to get, um, the proverbial punch in, in the mouth at some point in the race. And, and it's the key is how, how do you respond to that? And how do you, um, uh, how do you dissect the problem and, 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 and make it go away? How do you fight through that bad patch? Some people have the ability to kind of fight through that point and others just don't, it, you know, it's what's the, what's the great quote from, um, Vince Lombardi fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Um, and that enters into it as well. I mean, you just, you get to a certain point, mind and body is exhausted and you have to make a choice. And, uh, some people make one choice and others make another choice. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Mike, what do you think it is in those moments that separates the people that make one choice as opposed to other? 
Um, you, I think it's being more aware of what you need to do to diagnose the problem and diagnose it quickly. Um, like I said, it's easy. It's easier said than done when your mind and body are in a deteriorated state. Um, but I think those people have kind of prepared themselves better in terms of mental preparation. Look, I'm, I know I'm going to have these bad patches. Um, here's what I need to do. I need to um, just work through it. Um, don't dwell on it. Um, and really um, a pacer or just running with somebody else can help distract from some of the, some of the, the, kind of the voices in your head at that point and to kind of help alleviate that. Um, it's just an understanding, a better understanding of knowing that this bad patch is going to go away eventually. Some people don't understand what, what the bad patch means. It might, they, they might feel like they've got an injury that is terminal and it just, they're just not going to be able to finish that race. And they, they've convinced themselves of it while others have decided that, look, this isn't this, you know, it hurts right now, but I can get through this and, and I will, I just decided I'm going to. And those are the ones right there at that hinge point, you know, make the decision and, and fight through it. And then once you do it, uh, the thing I've seen over and over over the years is once you've done it for that first time, then it becomes muscle memory, you know, and, and the confidence of knowing that you can battle through that mentally and physically. And um, then they, then you see them just hundred finish after hundred finish while others just kind of just don't get over that, um, you know, that hurdle. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and check out our book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. Just go to pukeandrallybook.com. Now back to the show. You, you've segued into it, man. Share with us, Hinge Moment. Well, like I said, you, you just, you get to that point. You, you're going to, you know, you're going to, you've done something during the race. You've not, you've run, you've, you've started too fast or you've not eaten the right things or you've not drank the right things during the race. And now all of a sudden your, your stomach is sugar bombed or you're just exhausted. You just, the toothpaste is out of the tube um, metaphorically <laughs> in terms of how tired you are and how do you get that back? I mean, can you get it back? And, and so that's when you have to, you, you, like I said, you have to diagnose. The sooner you diagnose it, the better. Um, if you wait too long and let it just kind of go on, not only is it going to be tougher to kind of overcome, you then become, you, you've got another challenge with the, with the clock. And uh, that's, that's a battle that so many people face that they just, that kind kind of weighs them down. They get so stressed out over the clock and whether I'm going to finish or not, because they're taking too much time at the aid stations or just walking more than they believe, um, they get weighed down by that. So um, again, you, you've got to, you've got to diagnose it quickly, realize that you're kind of off center 
and course correct um, as quickly as you can. And then, you know, be determined. You've, you've got at that point, you've got to say, look, I'm going to I'm going to fight my way through this. And uh, you've got to have that belief in yourself. As a race director, um, you you witness these things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think's? I guess what do you think's the best piece of advice if someone's in that race? Um, things go bad, and you know what, what? What would you be able to say to them? Like, how would you help them out? Well, before the race, I would tell them the key is balance. Focus on your plan. Have a plan and focus on it during the race. But don't don't dwell on it. Don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy the moment, but be cognizant of what you need to do at the next aid station or, you know, how you want to finish that loop and how much time you have left. But don't get overly distracted and, and, and get off schedule. I've seen so many people that become overly casual about the event, particularly at the start. And they just, they're having fun, which you want them to have fun, but they get distracted. And and now all of a sudden they're halfway through the race and they've not built up any cushion for themselves. And, and then it becomes kind of, well, now you have to run the second half of the race faster than you did in the first half and you're in a deteriorated state. How are you going to pull that off? So my advice is, you know, don't let that happen. <laughs> give me, give me an example. Like, what do you mean people get, will get too distracted? Uh, you know, just get on the course. They're just, they're joking. They're, they're, you know, they're having fun, which is like I said, which is great, but you know, you, you're not, you're not cognizant, really cognizant of your pace, what, you know, what, what you should, where you should be on a, on a particular loop. You know, if you, if you think that you have to get through one loop in a certain number of hours and you're now all of a sudden you're kind of way ahead or way behind that plan, those are both equally bad in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um, they're they're equally tough to kind of get out of, and so um, just make sh- just be aware, self aware of what you need to accomplish to achieve your goal, loop by loop, and um, you know just break it down like that. Don't don't uh, don't look at the entire thing. Just some people break it down even further and go from aid station to aid station. I, I think that's just too much thought process. I you know I would. I, for, for course like ours with 25 mile loop, I would just break it down by loop here. Here's my plan. I gotta, I gotta be through this loop at this time and, and do the best I can to kind of manage that. Um, so I get somewhere reasonably close to that, that, that plan for that loop and then move on to the next one. And yeah. you just see so many people um, kind of throw away their plan because they feel great. And they're they're just running like like crazy, like their hair's on fire. You see that so often, and they just kind of overrun the race. And um, 
and then it's too late. You, you know, you, you've you used up so much of your energy that you needed to conserve. And um, it's, t- it's tough to kind of overcome that. Yeah. How do, how do people, what do you recommend? How do people handle, um, let's just not say the regular aid station stops, but when they're going to see like their crew in a race where there's going to be loops, like how do you think, what's the best way to handle that? Well, you know, have your plan in advance with your crew and, and stick to it. And um, don't have your crew enable you um, and, and tell them that, that, uh, look, I need to be in and out. And, um, you know, don't, if I don't look bad, if, if I look bad, don't, don't baby me, you know, don't, don't discourage me or say, well, maybe you need to slow down or stop or what that that's, um, you know, that's that kind of fatalistic type of thinking, um, is, is, is not helpful. I've, I've recommended to a number of runners not to have family members be their crew. And just because, you know, the family doesn't want to see them in such a bad state, mm-hmm. but you know, it kind of goes against what they're trying to accomplish. And, and so you need to, you need to be honest with them prior to the race and say, look, I'm, I'm going to not be good at this point. So you have to understand that. And I can't have you, you know, trying to enable me to, um, you know, do something that's going to hurt my, my chances of succeeding. And so that's the big thing is kind of just tackling it up front. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I've told my family and I'll continue to tell them that uh, in no way whatsoever, there will be a, I don't know if you recommend this, but th- there's going to be a word, <laughs> but that word does not get uttered because yeah. there's no, uh, there's no stopping what's, what's right. going to be happening because that's what that's where our mind works, right? Our mind wants us to be safe. Our mind doesn't want that pain. Our mind, and then our family becomes that mind that sometimes just doesn't help us. I I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I one time paced somebody. It was kind of a blind date where I just showed up and I said, "Look, I want to pace somebody," and um, uh, I got out there on the course, paced them. And he had family members as crew and they, every time he would um, meet them, he would just come out of it and be in a total funk. And I said, look, we're going to have to shut down this whole crew thing because this, this is hindering what you're trying to accomplish. And um, you know, they, they, they just didn't want to see him in a bad state. And um, you have to understand you're going to be in a bad state. And so we, we kind of worked around, we, we, we figured that out and, and he, he went on and had a top 10 race. So he was, he ended up figuring it out, but you know, things could have gone bad had he just kept doing that. And it was, it was just kind of a fatalistic mindset from the crew and they, they meant that their intentions were good. I mean, they meant they want, they, you know, they certainly didn't want to seem in a bad state, but you're going to be in a bad state. What's, what's the best part about being a race director for so many years? Um, it's just seeing so many people accomplish something that they've, they didn't know that was within them. And, uh, that's been, that's been really rewarding. Um, you know, we, we started up a local group at the same time that we started our race. And, um, so we started from scratch. And to see so many of them um, 
you know, go through all the training runs and, um, you know, see the accountability amongst the group and then watching them succeed one after the other. It's that, that was, that's just incredible to be at that finish line, to watch them, you know, you, you can, it just kind of pours out of them, you know, the, the, how, how incredible that, that moment is for those people. Um, that that's really been the most rewarding thing to me. Yeah. And that, is there one, I'm sure there's several, but there's there one that stands out to you as, as witnessing is more meaningful than to perhaps others that you can share? Um, you know, every one of them, I, I don't mean to sound trite, every one of them, because everyone has their own story. They, right. they all mean equally as much, but there's one that stands out. And um, we, you know, we had a gentleman, uh, Dave Potter, who he has the distinction of being the only person that completed the first 500 mile races for our event, which is a feat considering all the bad weather that we had for that. Dave, uh, military guy, uh, triathlete background, r- humble guy, super guy, um, was diagnosed with ALS in 2018, um, early 2018, decided to run our race. And when I saw him prior to, prior to the race, um, you know, he, he didn't look good as you might expect. Um, but his will to succeed and finish that race was just like none other. And, um, his father, um, paced him. His father looked like he could be Dave's brother. I mean, he was, he's just, and they were extraordinarily close. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then along the way, they uh, acquired other people to run with them. And these were like, these are incredible people. Beth Gilday, Mark Norfleet, Eric Whittington. These are, these are, you know, incredible runners uh, in the ultra running world from the Midwest. And they all kind of grouped together and ran with him because they knew what was going on. And to see him finish that, you know, in the last hour was just extraordinary. And, um, and I'll take it a step further. Six, six months later, uh, Dave came back to run the Glacial Esca 40. And, you know, the disease had advanced quite a bit at that point to, mm-hmm. to the extent where he couldn't even talk. And um, he, 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 attempted the, he attempted the run and he, he, could, he could only get through one loop and he had to stop. And he was so upset that he just, he and his dad sat at a picnic table by the finish line and Dave just started wailing and cause he knew, you know, that this something that was very important in his life was just being taken away from him. And I, I, I lost it. I mean, I was, <laughs> it, it was difficult. And, um, Dave ended up passing away the, the following year, but, um, that was extraordinary what, what he accomplished. And, and, um, you know, we, we've honored him many times. Uh, he's got a plaque on our course and, uh, 
Um, you, you talked about determination and grit. Somebody who, who knew that his, you know, his life was ending, but yet he just he found a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for this sharing that, man. I, I didn't know that story. It's fantastic. Remaster Media. Yeah, we've had a couple of people with ALS that have completed it. It's just extraordinary to just to figure out, you know, how to master this under those kind of health conditions. It's just, it's unbelievable. You know, because you get to see the the essence of the human spirit, right? Like someone's soul on display. You really do. Instances. You really do. And and there's so many, there's many other stories of, of people just battling whatever problems that they have, um, you know, just lost a, um, a family member or, um, you know, trying to honor somebody um, or just just battling their own demons. And um, like I said, you know, you, you can see all that just kind of pouring out of them as they cross the finish line. And, and that, if you've never if, if you've never been at a hundred mile finishing line, you know, right there in the last couple of hours, I, I strongly suggest it. It, it will change how you, how you feel about humanity. Um, it's, it's, I've seen some of the toughest, toughest people just kind of break down when watching those runners finish. It's, uh, the moment of, of an individual finishing. My question that I need to ask is when it comes to the process, um, do you think that the process is more important than the product? Um, can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. So every season before the Super Bowl or before the season starts, everyone's like the goal is to win a Super Bowl. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, they win. And even in those and again, everyone's experience is different, but even in those moments when they're supposed to experience the, the greatest thrill of their life, so many people have said, boy, is that it? So yeah. someone wins a gold medal at the Olympics and they're flying back and they thought, man, I thought it would feel different. Yeah. And it's not taking anything away from the product at all. But yeah. that's what I mean when it comes to the process compared to the product. Like, What, what can you talk about that? Yeah, that's, that's something that's really... I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that's really important with what we do with our event. For years, we had over 30 training runs a year, which no one does that. I mean, most 100-mile races, they'll have one or two training runs and have the race. And so um, so we were all about the process because we wanted we wanted buy-in. We wanted accountability and, you know, we wanted them to see, see other people out there and, and you look, you've got, we want you to understand you've got lots of friends out here. You've got a lot of support. If something goes wrong, you're going to have, you know, one of a hundred people locally that are going to be on that course and they'll pick you, they'll lift you up. And, um, we had a lot of buy-in from that and um, um, the, the process through those training runs, in my opinion, became very instrumental in, in a lot of them accomplishing their goals. Uh, you know, some people, they hate the training. 
I mean, it's, and I understand that, but my, myself, I, 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 like you say, I enjoyed the, the actual process more than the event itself because it just, that was something that I just looked forward to. I, I love training runs and, um, I've run that course 1400 times. So, you know, if you don't, <laughs> you have to be mental to, you know, want to do that unless you just enjoyed it. And so that part of it was just really appealing to me, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of the runners, they just wouldn't run anywhere else. They would come because they knew what they were getting through our training. Runs. Oh, I love it, man. That's a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about that, that community. And I think it gets back to that, one quote, right? If you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. Well, that was the big thing, Rob, that I learned before I started the event. I I um, went to go train at Mohican in, in 2004 or five, And um, that was when things just really weren't happening in, in Indiana. There was 10 people running ultras in Indiana. And so when I went over there to train, there was 40 or 50 people. And it was like, it was to me, Coming from a marathon background where it was all about yourself and, you know, it was kind of a selfish sport. And um, ultra running would seem almost like a team sport to me. And and I was like, I never thought about it, but let's do that. Let's create that back home. And so that's why I went about um, creating all those training runs because I wanted it to be kind of like a team. And we, we ultimately did create some ultra running teams. Um, but I wanted to capture that spirit, that team spirit that really didn't, I didn't have um, coming up through running shorter di- distances. Mike, I thoroughly enjoyed this. What question should I be asking that, that I've, that I just haven't asked? Uh, I I don't know, Rob. Um, I you've you've done a great job of um, of capturing what I think are the you know the the keys of the race. Um, it's I you know I I think our our I guess um not. Pat ourselves on the back, but you know, we we we've just never kind of followed any sort of model in terms of what we wanted to accomplish. We kind of created something different. We wanted um, we wanted something that was just ours, and um, you know, um, like I said, it, the, the training runs were essential for what we wanted to we. The, the park itself, I, I, I do want to talk. Let me let me talk a little bit about the park because yeah. um, um, so many races, you know, it's their choice. Either they they have an event, they use the park, they go away, and they never have anything to do with it until the next race. That's not what we what we've set out to do. Um, you know, when we made the um, the park the benefactor of all of our proceeds were a nonprofit event. Um, we wanted to be, we wanted to do more than just that. We wanted to be a partner with the park and that means, um, taking care of it. And, um, um, for example, we've, we've been out 
working on new trails, uh, old trails, um, every week for the last 10 months, uh, save a couple for, for weather. And no one's asking us to do it. We just, we feel compelled to do that um, because they, they are our partners. Um, they don't have the financial support or the employee support to, to get that accomplished. So they need help and we're there to, to help them. And um, uh, I think that's kind of unique with events like ours where, um, um, you know, I, I think some people get mad at me from, from other races. They're like, why aren't you coming to our races to help out? It's because I'm busy working on our race and uh, we're helping our partner. And, um, um, you know, that I, I'm, I'm very appreciative that they, uh, that the people at Channel Lakes gave us uh, an opportunity 10 years ago because um, they didn't have to. And, and we wanted to um, repay their um, faith and confidence in us by um, helping them out. And uh, so I, I, it's, it's more than just the runners here. You know, we're, we can, it's, it's not mutually exclusive. We can help the park and the runners at the same time. And I think that's what we've done. That's awesome, man. Mic drop on that one, Mike. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, they're, they're important partners of ours. And, um, I think we've, we've, um, kind of changed some of the thought process in, in all the other state parks, because, you know, in, in the past it would be like, eh, runners, they don't, we don't really want them around, but now they're seeing what the, the benefits are of a relationship like that. And, and I, I speak to some of those other parks now and they're like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, so I think that that growth and evolution and, and, and relationships is, is um, something that could be helpful for, for everyone going forward. Mike, thanks so much, man, for being a guest, sharing your story, experience, strength, and hope is really awesome. Well, glad to, Glad to spend some time with you, Rob. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching you run. I know you've trained uh, in, incredibly diligently, and uh, um, that, that always excites me to watch people that um, have um, gone all in in terms of wanting to, to accomplish the goals. So uh, I'm excited to see you at the finish line. Oh, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.